This is the Coach's Wife Life Podcast. I'm Kristen Ergel, your host, a former TV sports reporter and fellow college football coach's wife. I'll go one-on-one with the strong women who are the backbone of college athletics and athletics of all levels. And now, Coach's Wife Life. This podcast is brought to you by Brewer of Hope. Brewer of Hope is a nonprofit that supports medically fragile children. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation, you can use Venmo at Brewer-Hope or online at BrewerofHope.org. I'm so excited to have Jackie McHale today. Jackie is the wife of Dan McHale, assistant basketball coach in New Mexico. Thank you so much for being a part of us. I'm so honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so you guys have been together 21 years, married almost 16, after meeting at the University of Kentucky. Your story includes eight moves, six dates, three kids, three pugs. You've been a part of programs at Kentucky, Louisville, Iona, Seton Hall, Minnesota, Eastern Kentucky, and now New Mexico. Now, when you hear all that, I'm going to go through some more stats. That's a lot of moves. It's a lot of schools. It's a lot. To hear it that way, it is a lot. Um, and I'm grateful for all of it. Now, prior to your two seasons at New Mexico, Coach McHale was a head basketball coach in Division I in Eastern Kentucky. I love looking up stats because, you know, obviously I've been a sports reporter for a while, so I love these things. And I find this, in his first season at EKU, Coach McHale's fast-paced Colonels ranked 18th in the country in scoring offense and led EKU to the only school in Ohio Valley Conference to rank in the top three in the conference in all shooting percentages. In his tenure at EKU, he also got in multiple all-conference selections. He helped rebuilding processes of teams in Iona, Seton Hall, Minnesota. What do you think contributes to Coach McHale getting guys to perform at such a high level? Well, I think it starts with, with him. He's such a hard worker, and his love for the game is so obvious. Um, but I think really it starts with recruiting the right kids. You know, Dan's really big on culture. And really getting to know who these guys are through relationships off the court, you know, who they are, what's their family life like, um, and kind of just engaging and getting to know the players outside of basketball. Um, And I think when you do that, you have a connection with these players and they want to play for you um, and they want to work hard for you and they want, they want to be part of your success. You know, he kind of, he lives by the philosophy of getting better every day. And I see him doing that, you know, even in our family, like trying to make everybody around him better each day. Where did you grow up? And did you ever see yourself having this coach's wife life? Never, ever. Um, So I grew up in Kentucky and Owensboro, Kentucky. It's a, I think it's the third largest city in the state. Great place to grow up. And, um, As you probably know, you know, I know Tennessee is similar, but there are not many people in Kentucky who don't bleed blue. And so I was just never, I just never really cared that much about basketball. I never was not super, I was not athletic at all, actually. I shouldn't say super athletic. I was not athletic. Um, And I just, um, I really didn't have an interest in it. And so, you know, meanwhile, my grandfather was one of the biggest Kentucky Wildcat fans that I'd ever met. And um, I wish my grandfather had the chance to meet Dan so they could talk hoops, but unfortunately that never happened. Um, But no, never dreamed I would be the wife of a coach. And, um, but I'm happy to be here. I'm happy I am. Now, how did you meet Coach McHale? All right. So we met at, uh, we met in college at the University of Kentucky. He's from New Jersey. Like I said, I'm from Owensboro. 
um, he was a basketball manager. Um, he knew, you know, even in high school that he wanted to coach and he made his way to Kentucky. He thought that was the best place to, to go be a manager. Um, you know, if he wanted to pursue his dream and a couple of our friends, um, introduced us one night and it took a while. They tried to impress me by like inviting me over to the Wildcat Lodge where he lived, you know, the, the team lived and he lived. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't super impressed. I, <laughs> I just wasn't really into that sort of thing. Um, so we met that night um, and, you know, it's fine. I liked him. Thought he was a nice guy, but it was time for summer. He went home to New Jersey and I went home to Owensboro. And then um, a few months later, we, we got back to campus and we went on our first date. Wow. Now, fast forward, you have a couple of kids and all of that. And here you are today uh, making a tremendous impact in an organization called Coaches Versus Cancer. Tell me a little bit about what you do to draw awareness to such a great cause. Yes, I'm so honored to be on the Coaches Versus Cancer Webs Committee. Um, I feel I feel so blessed to be part of the group because it's a, it's a group of basketball wives. And so we all have that in common. And, um, you know, we team up with the American Cancer Society and we meet virtually every month to learn about what the American Cancer Society is doing to, to help in the fight against cancer. And we come up with ways to create awareness and fundraise. Uh, most recently we did, you know, typically during the season, there's a suits and sneakers game um, where the basketball coaches wear suits and sneakers to bring awareness to cancer. Well, this year, you know, because of the pandemic, everything looked a little different. Um, so um, Daniel Messelman came up with the idea of doing a t-shirt challenge where each school would have a t-shirt uh, with their color. Um, and we would, we would try to fundraise by selling and promoting these t-shirts. Um, so that was most recent, um, but we do things like that. We have a, we have a wives brunch. Um, but you know, I think most importantly, we've all been affected by cancer. I mean, everyone has been affected by cancer in some way. And, you know, we, we do, whether we like it or not, we as wives have a platform. Um, and I think it's important to bring attention to the things that we're passionate about and that have meaning and just to put a little bit of good out in the world. Um, so it's it's nice because it's a group who understands this unusual lifestyle that we live, and there's solidarity in that. And um, it's just nice to be a part of, of something that's bigger than basketball. Mm, absolutely, I uh, admire you a ton for that. Obviously, strikes a chord um, with me uh, with medical research. But let's we'll talk more about things like that. But I want to get straight to the game day question. So. What does a home game look like for you? Do you? What time do you get to the arena? Do you start getting there really early or do you like to get in there right in the nick of time? Well, so the, I wish I could remember, to be honest. <laughs> so, you know, games have changed for everybody in the business lately because of, you know, COVID and the pandemic. And, you know, some venues allow friends and family, some don't allow fans at all. Um, some have, you know, thousands of fans in the stands. It's just different state by state. But unfortunately, this year was a bit sad for us because the kids and I didn't get to see a single game in person. Wow. Um, and none of our home games were played at home. Um, with the pandemic, uh, the state of New Mexico did not allow any games to be played in our state. 
And even for the majority of the season, they weren't even allowed to practice mm. at their at our home arena either. So that meant that in order to have a season, they had to move their operation. Um, they did two places. They were in Texas for a while and in Utah for a while, um, which was tough because, you know, it's wow. living, they, you know, they were living in hotels for a hundred days away from their families and it was difficult, but luckily we did have one normal season um, here, which was amazing. Our arena is called The Pit, and it's just a fantastic venue. It's historic. It's loud. It's so much fun. And, um, you know, from the very beginning, I mean, I was dragging babies. <laughs> you know, I have a 12-year-old, and, she, you know, she was six weeks old, and I was taking her to basketball games. And that's kind of how we are as a family. We... Um, we just do everything together. And so since they're babies, they would tag along with me to the game. We usually get to the arena about an hour before tip off because my nine-year-old son is a ball boy and he takes his job very seriously. And he, (laughs) he has to be there on time. You know, he's pulling me out the door because I'm not always on time you know three <laughs> same, kids same. get out the door that's right <laughs> so he's usually in the car waiting for me like mom we gotta go we gotta go so we get him you know to his job as ball boy so he can get everything set up and ready and then my daughters and I um head upstairs they do like a um my husband will do like a chalk talk kind of to the boosters up in one of the suites in the arena and we go up and listen and that's always fun to hear him talk and give his game plan and cues to winning the game. So, um, that's sort of our tradition. And then, you know, we spend a fortune on snacks uh, at the arena, you know, of a five-year-old. So up and down the steps, going to the bathroom two or three times. Um, but it's, um, it's fun. I miss, I miss, miss, miss going to games. I never thought I would say that. I never, I never thought I would feel that way. Um, but gosh, I'll, I'll be happy when we get to return to, to normal. Prior to the pandemic, did you try to travel to some of the away games? Yes, definitely. I would say that this is one of the best things about being the wife of a, and family of a coach. I mean, without a doubt, it, we have been so fortunate because we've gotten to visit so many amazing places um, because of basketball. We've gotten to go to Hawaii and Spain and Puerto Rico. We wow. got to do to go to Disney World one time and they shut down a couple of the rides so that we could go on them as much as we wanted. Wow. We've been to New York and we've gotten to see some really cool college towns. Um, and we laugh all the time because my son, um, like I said, he's nine, but he's so into basketball and he he wants to be a coach. Some days I'd try to talk him out of it. <laughs> <laughs> just out of, out of, for his future wife, I'm like... <laughs> just maybe you should maybe you should be an analyst or (laughs) but he uh, he's constantly researching tournaments he's like dad can you get us in the Cayman Highland Classic can we go to the battle for Atlantis and um, he's constantly you know coming downstairs hey dad can you schedule these so he has like a bucket list of tournaments he wants to check off his list so but my rule kind of is as long as if they're, if you're going, if Dan's going somewhere with palm trees, I will find a way there. Yes. It is just meant to be. And so, um, but yes, it is definitely, um, I'm ready to get back to that for sure. Now you talked about the highs and there's obviously and every day is a perfect winning day. Um, what do you think has been some of the toughest adversity you both have faced and what did you rely on to get through those moments? 
Well, without a doubt, our toughest moment um, was at the end of our third year at Eastern Kentucky University. Uh, Dan, he was let go, and we just we weren't expecting it at all. You know, we'd only been there, you know, just had just finished our third year. It just wasn't enough time to get things done. You know, things seemed to be going pretty well. He was trying to build his team and create a culture and, you know, of doing things the right way. And, you know, we had some really fun moments. Like we beat um, a rival, Western Kentucky, for the first time in, gosh, I think over 30 years. And we beat um, Marshall for the first time in 40 years. And we were the first team, OVC team ever to beat Belmont at home. And that after being, you know, picked in the preseason third in the conference, everything just kind of crumbled. The injury bug hit and the bottom fell out. And, you know, when he was fired, it was just really painful. It's kind of a, I would say it's a grieving process, mm-hmm. um, you know, because you, you really are kind of mourning the loss of something you've given your heart and soul to. And it's hard. It's so public. You know, mm-hmm. you you go, you give everything you've got to like the school and the community. And, um, and then in a moment, it's gone. And it's so public. And everyone knows at the same time, instead of, you know, you getting to tell them on your own terms. And mm-hmm. so um, definitely, definitely, that was the hardest thing we've gone through. Definitely. You think it's changed you at all to walk through moments like that? Absolutely. I mean, I never dreamed that it would change change us for the better, but in hindsight, it it totally has. You know, we always felt we always felt supported through all of it. You know, we we were very lucky um, with our. We have a strong um, family. You know, family support. We have friends who have become family um but we always we always felt supportive supported and so I feel like now I try to be that for someone else Mm. you know and before really hitting that adversity maybe I wasn't as empathetic as I could have been because I'd never really lived it I'd never Mm -hmm. gone through it and I didn't know what it felt like and now I do and mm-hmm. so I believe that, you know, I know I have a fresh perspective and I'm so grateful for that. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was devastating in so many ways, but, you know, there's that uncertainty of like waiting and it's almost like a purgatory, like waiting and wondering what's next, but we made it through the hard times and we really became closer as a couple and as a family and our faith is so, I mean, it was strong before, you know, we've always had strong faith, but we, we really rely on God for our mm-hmm. peace and for guidance. And um, I love, I, I read this daily devotional called Jesus Calling. It's like a short pair, you know, it's just a paragraph and I read in the morning when I brush my teeth. Um, but uh, lately I've been reading um, about how, God only gives you enough faith or grace to get through the day. That's all you need is enough faith for today and grace for today. And so I try every day to tell myself that I don't need to worry about tomorrow. I just need to worry about today. That's very powerful because that's extremely hard to do. I feel like the biggest battle we have is the battle of the mind. You know, just how am I going to 
focus when everything else feels like panic, right? How am I going to focus on what God has done for me? And he will take care of us in the midst of this adversity and not fear and sort out myself and finagle this and call this person. And that's the hardest thing to just rest in that grace he gives us for the day, but he doesn't give you tomorrow's grace. It's just today. <laughs> and that's just, uh, today. <laughs> just today. That's all. And I do feel like when you go through something like that, you do have empathy for others. And like, there's someone uh, going through this now or any other type of adversity in your life. You have an awareness for people who are going through something that they didn't bring on themselves. You know, it's just some challenges that people face. Now, if you look back over these 16 years of being married, 21 together, what's one thing you're glad you made a priority in your life? Something I learned a long time ago, um, I have a friend who's also a basketball wife, Julie Willard, and she, um, her husband is a coach at Seton Hall. Um, and she always told me, bloom where you're planted. And I think she learned that from her mother-in-law, who is also the wife of a coach. Um, but it's, you know, it's so important, especially now with three young kids, you know, Lily's 12, Daniel's nine, Molly's five. Um, so we really, no matter where we are, um, because as you know, we've, we've moved a lot. We just try to become part of our community. We get involved in as many things as we can and we build relationships because this lifestyle makes it really hard to have roots and unless you make it a priority. And I think that's an important lesson for my kids. You know, you have to make this your home. You have to make this, you have to create your roots. Um, and you know, it's hard because you don't, you never know how long you're going to be somewhere. So is it easier to say, Hey, I don't, I'm, I'm just not going to get too attached. You know, like mm -hmm. I need to guard my heart. I don't want heartbreak later, but I've learned that we're just going to give it our all. We're going to immerse ourselves in wherever we are. And, um, you know, it's important to live and experience each destination because at the end of the day, it's about the people that we meet along the way. And um, we've met, some, we've met some really awesome people who are our family and we don't even, you know, we don't haven't, there's a friend of mine, I haven't seen her in two years, but we still talk on the phone, you know, every other day. And so those are the people that will be in your life forever. Now that this is a tough question. I ask it every podcast, but you've been the backbone of a successful coach. What are some things that you think you've done that's contributed to the success of his career and your lives as a family? I would definitely say just being consistent and being the default. I'm, I would say I'm the default parent and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like we, you know, he does his thing and I'm, I'm consistent. I'm here. My kids know that I'm picking them up from school and when dad gets to pick them up, it's exciting and they can't wait. But, um, you know, I, we just try to encourage and embrace him and support him. And he, he knows we believe in him. We know he's a fantastic coach and we want him to live out his dream because it's now part of who we are. And, and we, we want to see him reach his, his dreams. Um, but, you know, he always says, Dan always says that um, comparison is a thief of joy. Mm -hmm. And I love that quote. And, I, you know, as my kids are getting older, especially the 12 year old, um, we, we try to bring that up a lot because, you know, it doesn't seem like it, but everyone struggles and we have to remember that. So I think another thing that I try to do is just to keep everyone grounded 
and um, and steady. And I, I love, I've heard you talk about be, being steady and the importance of just being that that rock for your family. And I love it. I think about it all the time. And I'm I'm really trying hard to just be steady and consistent and keep things, even when things are hard, um, just making everybody feel secure and to know that everything's going to be okay because things are going to be okay. That's right. Even though you don't feel it in the moment, you know, be in that rock. It's, um, I'm trying that, I'm trying that right now. It's hard. <laughs> you know, sometimes we have good days and sometimes we have bad, right? But hey, we just keep getting back up. I was looking at your, um, where the cities that you've been, Louisville, uh, Minnesota, and then you have places that are smaller uh, towns in some of the mix as well. So you've had to move to big cities. You've had to move to small towns and either find brand new childcare because you, you have what, 12, nine and five. So you've had a new childcare in different places, babysitters, maybe a new job. What are some of the ways that you found effective when you're moving to different towns and places and various sizes? Do you, do you kind of have a default way you, you attack it? I would say this is probably the number one hardest part of being a coach's wife is moving. Moving is hard, but for me, at least, you know, I pick my kids up from school some days and I look around and I'm like, there are so many grandparents here picking up their kids, their grandkids. And I realized, and I try not to dwell on it too much, but I really started thinking about how some people actually get to choose where they live. And, and I mean, in doing so, many times they have a built-in support system where they are, you know, whereas we're in, we're in Albuquerque right now, which, you know, my parents are in Kentucky, Dan's parents are in New Jersey, and, and it's far. And so, um, you know, it's nice because you, you become close with the coaching staff, you know, right away, and you, um, you know, we've, we've been lucky, like, we always try to find, you know, good school, and then I try to get involved in the school, um, just so we can meet people and kind of start to grow a support system, but it's tough, it's hard, I think it takes, I don't know, I'd say, we've been here almost two years, two years in August, and I would say, you know, I just finally drove somewhere the other day without putting the address in my, in my ways app. I was, <laughs> I was so proud of myself. I was like, yes, I finally know my way around, but it takes a couple years to really get used to being in a new place. And, you know, you got to get your family settled. You have to find babysitters. And now I'm finally in a place where I'm ready like to go back to work full time. You know, I have a, you know, my all day, um, and so, you know, I'm trying, I'm, I'm thinking about that. I've been in the interim, I've been kind of, I've been substitute teaching at their school and doing some marketing consulting. And then, um, oddly enough, <laughs> I'm actually going to be in a, a TV show. Um, Whoa, why didn't we leave with filming this? In, uh, yeah, right. I know it's, this is so not me. I have like no acting experience at all, but I'm just a background person, but I don't know if you know this, but um, Netflix studios is in Albuquerque um, and the film industry is huge here. Um, And so I kind of stumbled upon this like background um, job and um, which is like an extra. So yeah, that is so cool because I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, but I'll let you know when it comes out. Please do. All of us wives, we want to see this. We'll, <laughs> we'll be your biggest fans and cheerleaders. We will all download it, watch it, tweet it, love it. 
That's pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible. I like it. Okay. So, um, I talk about, it's kind of a newer question I've added to my podcast because it's so relevant, which is, this is a competitive business, football, basketball, they all are. And especially I I feel like basketball, you've got what, three full-time coaches on staff. Is that right? Yes. Yes. You're all going for the same jobs. So when there's a job opening, there's so many people (laughs) that are trying to get it. Has there been one in the past 16 years? You don't have to give me a specific school, but just a job you thought your husband would get or promised, or you thought it would go your way and it didn't. What do you say to him to keep him encouraged when you find out it, it wasn't you? Well, you know, we've been fortunate and in so many ways, Dan really had never had to formally interview for a job until he went um, for the head coaching job at EKU and he got it, which was great. Um, He has a lot of connections in the business. So as soon as he graduated from Kentucky, he went to work with Coach Patino at Louisville. Then he moved with Kevin Willard, who was on the staff at Louisville um, to Iona when he got the head job. And then when Richard Patino got the Minnesota job, Coach Patino called Dan and said, hey, I need you to I need you to leave Seton Hall. I need you to go um, work with Richard in Minnesota. So nevertheless, it's a very tough, competitive, it's so competitive. I mean, the industry is not for the faint of heart. It is just not. Um, and, you know, things were a little harder after EKU. Um, but we landed in a great spot in New Mexico. And, um, you know, I'm really big on quotes. I probably drive Dan absolutely crazy. I'll, you know, see a cute little meme on <laughs> on Instagram and I send it over to him. And um, so I just try to, I just try to keep perspective and um, send him little notes of encouragement and let him know we're behind him no matter what. So I know there's a lot of basketball games, but do you have any certain things you do after a win? The thing with basketball is a lot of our games are like weekday in the evening. So usually it's pretty late uh, when we get home. You know, I love like a good Saturday noon game, especially after, you know, when you win because mm-hmm. <laughs> you get to enjoy your weekend. But um, most of the games are in the evening. So, and, you know, like I said, I drag the drag the kids to the games with me. So, you know, we usually stick around, give dad a hug, and then um, I get them home and get them to bed. You know, it's 10 o'clock and I have school the next <laughs> <laughs> but one of our um, one of our traditions, I would say, is we have this. Um, it's called a happy everything plate. Have you seen those? Oh no! It's like a they're they're cool. So it's like a big it's like a big platter, and it's we have it on like a you can put it on your counter, or we have it hanging on the wall. But they have all these little attachments for it, and um, so they have you know Christmas, they have Easter, they have you know anything you can think of, back to school, Halloween, whatever. So my mom gifted us an attachment that is a basketball scoreboard, mm. and you can write the score um, on it with a dry erase marker, like in who we played. So we keep um, we keep that attachment on during basketball. And it's kind of our tradition just to update the score and the kids like taking turns writing on it. But, um, and you know, when we lose though, sometimes we kind of just forget about it until we <laughs> win again. <laughs> just leave <laughs> the old picture not too long in between. Yeah. So, um, but yes. I like that. I need to see this. How do you guys stay connected during the season? Do you have a date night? It feels like you're playing so many games. How many games are in a basketball season? I used to know this by heart, but. Um, about 30. Yeah. I think that's right. I should probably know this for yes. sure, but this, this season's been a little weird. Right. <laughs> so. Right. So do you have a date night, lunch date? I don't know if anybody's really been having too many date nights lately. Um, 
unless we do a little picnic at home or whatever. But we have, um, we're both kind of homebodies in a way. Um, not to say that we enjoyed being home during this time of coronavirus, but, um, you know, we just like to, we like to be home. We like to be with our kids. We like to sit and have a glass of wine outside or listen to music. Uh, we have a few shows we watch um, together, um, and you know we lo- of course we love a good night date night from time to time. I'm I'm ready for a date night now. <laughs> I need a yes. night out away, away from everybody. Um, and you know another thing I try to do when he's on the road, which like I said was most of this season. Um, you know he was gone for a stretch mm-hmm. right before Christmas. Yeah. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember how many days. Um, but it was leading up to Christmas and I just felt so bad. He wasn't home with us. Um, he was, so, you know, all those fun things like moving the el, you know, moving the elves around and, um, having the kids find, find the elves every day. And, um, he was missing out on all those like holiday traditions. And so we packed up, um, I got him like a, a Christmas scent candle and we sent like a little fake Christmas tree in his, it was tiny in his, in his suitcase. And, um, we let, made him notes for each day that he was gone just to kind of keep us connected. So he didn't feel so far away. Oh, that's really um, neat. Yeah. So, and then we kind of got off our game for the rest of the season. Cause then he was gone for like a hundred. I mean, I think they spent like a hundred nights in hotel rooms this year wow. and this season. And so, <laughs> The first like 14 days, I was like, okay, I'm going to be like this fantastic wife and encouraging and notes and everybody writes something, you know, one kid does this day, I do another day. But, you know, I'm sure he got to that second stint of his trip and he was like, oh, there's nothing in my (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I tried, but it was just too, too many days this year. But that is definitely, definitely how we normally stay connected, even when he's away. It's just fun, you know, surprising and FaceTiming and now, I know this year has been a little different with COVID, but what are some of the ways you guys try to connect with your players? Well, so we, we've always kind of been, they're our family. Um, you know, I told you, we don't have family here. And so our team and our the, co- the coaching staff, those are our people. And so my kids absolutely love the players and we haven't gotten to see them as much as we normally would have. So, um, you know, there are a few games where we would make posters and send them pictures of us holding the posters, um, which was our way of um, kind of, you know, being fans from, from, from afar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we just, you know, we delivered cookies to one of the players who had to sit out this season because, because of a medical condition. Um, we, we send candy to the players. We just try to treat them. We try to be their family because so many of them are far away from their families mm-hmm. too, which is hard. Um, you know, during normal times, we love to have them over for dinner. And we have uh, one player who loves to go to church with us and he can. And a few of them stopped by my son's birthday to surprise him. Wow. And, you know, all of his friends thought that was so cool. Oh, I bet. Um, but, yeah, they thought it was so fun and they played football with them. And I was like, please don't get hurt. Please don't get hurt. No more football. <laughs> I cannot afford an injury. Um, but yeah, we just really try to have compassion for them because they carry a lot on their shoulders, mm-hmm. these players. And it's important for them to know that we're here for them. And I think about their parents who 
I just think about what I would want someone to do for my kid, mm-hmm. um, you know, down the road and how, how would I want a coach's wife to, to treat my kid? And so I try to always keep that in the back of my mind. Now, do you get any downtime? You seem very busy with being a mom and kids and coach's wife. What do you enjoy doing? It's so beautiful here in Albuquerque. The weather, we're so fortunate with the weather. I mean, every day is sunny, really. And when it rains, you just sort of enjoy it because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing that so long. What is this stuff falling from the sky? Um, but um, yeah, you know, I, I really like going for walks. I think I told you that. Um, we actually live super close to Netflix studios. So I'll go for a walk and I'm like, look, I look, I try to look over the wall, see what's going on. Interesting over there. Um, just walking around in our neighborhood and um, kind of exploring our city, kind of be by myself. And listen, I love listening to your podcast. It's, uh, it got me through the pandemic. Thank you. Uh, awesome. <laughs> so literally. Awesome. <laughs> my AirPods. That put in my airpods and be like okay I'll be back and then you know sometimes I'd say I sometimes I'd be gone for like an hour and a half and I'd be like where have you been and I'll be like oh well I got to listening <laughs> to Christian Ergel's podcast and then I listen you know not just one episode I would go into the next one and so they'd be like well where is finally you're home <laughs> so okay so now you're my favorite person I've interviewed thank you very much I appreciate that nice <laughs> shout out <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, I won't put you on the spot and ask you your favorite ones. That would not be nice, but I know there's some great women out there that have been very, very encouraging to me as well. It's, um, you know, you start this podcast and you think you um, are just trying to be a conduit and help encourage other wives. And all of a sudden you, you know, myself here, I have just started being encouraged by other people's stories and that they've gotten through tough times and, and what they relied on and how they get through it. And, and just hear the joy of people's fun moments. You don't think about it through other people's perspective. It's just neat to hear about it. I love it. So thank all of you. For it is really, I'm so appreciative for your podcast. I, because I feel like as a coach's wife, you don't, you just don't realize that, gosh, there are other people who are having these same feelings that I, that I have. And, um, it's, it's so nice. Like, I don't know these women that I'm listening to, but I'm amazed by their stories and their faith. And, um, it's so inspiring and it's and mad props to you for bringing, you know, bringing us all together in this way. And um, I certainly appreciate it. Wow, you're special. Okay, so what would you say is one of the most rewarding aspects to you about being a coach's wife? This is tough. <laughs> just kidding. The free shoes? No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, free sneakers? Um, no, I would say, I would say getting to see the world and meeting so many new people um, and just, you know, I, I love, there was a, there was a moment this season and um, I was watching the game on TV and I just saw my husband, you know, they've had a rough season and I saw him in a moment of like pure joy, just doing what he loved. And, you know, they weren't, they weren't winning the game, but they were, they were coming, they had like a really good a few minutes of play, the players were coming back to the huddle and just a smile on his face. And I was so happy that somebody captured it on camera because I wasn't at the game. But to know, to watch him do what he loves and to see him make a difference in, you know, these players' lives. 
um, super rewarding. And, um, you know, and also being such a, I think, I don't know if our family, if we weren't, if we weren't a coach's family, would our family be this tight knit? We are such a close family because sometimes we're all we have, you know, in that beginning stage, when you move to a new city, we're all we have. And, um, and I think that's super rewarding and I'm grateful for that. Rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yes. What's the last book you have read? So I read my Jesus Calling daily devotional every morning. Love it. Um, if I get in the morning, I do it at night. I'm really, my attention span is horrible <laughs> with reading lately. So I haven't read any, any good books lately, but Jesus Calling is good. Coach surprises you, walks in the door with concert tickets. What would be printed on that ticket? O-A-R. Of a revolution. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but no, very good. <laughs> Something them. new. What's your most impressive skill? This is funny because I, I don't know. It's so hard. I would say I live up to my commitments. I tried hard to always. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And if I don't think I can do it, or if I can't follow through with it, or I can't do it well, then I just say no. And so I would say living up to my commitments. I like that. Okay. If you could have dinner with someone other than a family member, current or from history, who would it be? Uh, this is a tough one too. I would love to have dinner with you. I think that would be so fun. I love, I love hearing your story and um, yes. Let's so make maybe it happen. If you ever, if you ever get to Albuquerque. To... Or come out to Lawrence, Kansas. You get a night alone. What show would you binge watch? I would say Love It or List It or maybe one of the, I like some of those um, Real House Live shows, but you know, Dan, Dan's not really into those. So <laughs> I only watch them when he's not around. What's your go-to meal to cook? Tacos. What sport can you beat Coach McHale in? Tennis. Oh, Nice. Do you play tennis? But I'm not right very now? good at that. <laughs> I'm not. No, I haven't played in a long time, so um, I need to get. I need to get back into it. What's one thing non-tech you can't live without? I'm gonna say this is like a little weird, but moisturizer. <laughs> it's like my favorite part of the day, putting on my face moisturizer, especially living in the desert. It's so dry here. Um, but yes, I would say my oh my moisturizer. If you had a superpower, what would that be? I would say flying. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned our families live far away. I'd love to just be able to say, all right, I'm going to see my mom, I'm going to see my dad, going to, you know, put the kids on my back and just go. <laughs> would be nice. Okay, what would be your walk-up song? Best day of my life. I like to, I like that song. It makes me happy. Thank you so much, Jackie, for sharing. This has been so much fun. Oh, it's been so much fun chatting with you. I'm so happy, uh, so happy to catch up and to um, be on your show. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Brewer of Hope. Brewer of Hope is a nonprofit that supports medically fragile children. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation, you can use Venmo at Brewer-Hope or online at BrewerofHope.org. For a replay of this episode or previous episodes, visit CoachesWifeLife.org and follow us on social media at Coach's Wife